Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello everybody and welcome to this special Lost Interview edition of Black Hole Cinema, hosted by me Tony Black. Last summer, when the podcast came to a brief halt for about six months, I realised there were several interviews I did with friends and colleagues online that hadn't actually been released. So instead of them sitting on my hard drive, I thought, why not release them in between the new podcasts we're doing for however long they go on for and give those really interesting interviews about certain films the light of day. So over the next few weeks, we're going to have several different interviews from several different people about several different, more than likely quite classic films. So without further ado, welcome to The Lost Interviews. Welcome back, guys, to uh, this segment of Black Hole Cinema, in which I uh, get a mate on, and they tell me about their favourite film ever in the world. And uh, this week, it's the turn of one of my uh, oldest friends now, actually, and certainly my boldest friend. It's uh, Mr. Lee Crimes. Welcome, sir. Boldest or boldest? Boldest and boldest, yes. A bold, good bold recovery. Man. Thank yes. you. Very good, yes. When you said oldest friend there, that was also a phrase with two meanings. So, uh, Well, yeah. I actually didn't mean it in that sense. I meant it in the sense that we've known each other for a very long time now. And uh, But if you want nice. to draw, if you want to draw, you know, your, um, your severe worry about extreme old age into it, that's your business. But uh, I meant it in a friendly way. No one can see it, but I'm kind of curling my lips sardonically. <laughs> so, Lee, why don't you tell us your favourite movie that you're going to talk about tonight? Given that this is a surprise for you because I haven't told you what the film mm. is yet, my favourite film is from 1994. Mm-hmm. It's, I suppose you could say, an action movie. Mm-hmm. It has a very respected actor as one of the lead roles. And it is also an adaptation of an existing piece of work. I'll read out a quote from the film. For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important (laughs) day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Tuesday. Street Fighter. After seven months of fighting, the civil war in Chandelou may have reached the turning point. The capital has just fallen. In December 1994, the forces of freedom will face a power-mad dictator in a struggle for the fate of the world. (laughs) 
Street Fighter. Street Fighter is one of <laughs> the most underratedly brilliant pieces of, you know, cinema of the last now 20 years. It's a film that didn't do too badly at the box office. Consulting my handy infographic guide to the movies book here, I can tell you that the uh, the film's overall gross when it was released back in the day was actually 112 million, which was a sort of profit of 27 million, given that its budget was something ridiculous like let me just check, thank you Wikipedia. Its budget was only 35 million, so it didn't do too badly. That's though. a reasonable rate of return, isn't it? I mean, that's that's a very cheaply made film in comparison to these days. For a video game movie, yes, very yeah. cheaply made. I mean. It was directed by um, Stephen D'Souza as well, a reasonably respected director who, you know, worked on Die Hard and Die Hard 2, gave us Commando and The Running Man. He um, also kind of, you know, coded Hudson Hawk, but yeah, I mean, we, uh, we won't worry about that too we much. Don't, we don't mention uh, Hudson Hawk. No. no, no. Or the Judge Dredd movie that he did the year after. Mm. Or Beverly Hills Cop 3, yeah, in fact, I'd stop looking at his credits now because it's just going to get depressing. <laughs> but as an adaptation of the award-winning computer game, it, um, it ran things in quite an unusual aspect by making Colonel Guile the hero rather than Droyu and Ken, which was a more traditional way of playing things out. The aim being that the muscles from Brussels, Jean-Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. he's playing Colonel Guile, head of a UN peacekeeping force who blow quite a lot of things up and punch a lot of guys in the neck and face for a peacekeeping force, which also <laughs> includes Kylie Minogue amongst its uh, numbers, which would keep the peace in most places. Well, well, it, well, exactly. They all together are involved in the UN in the real world, to be honest. Rather than, yeah, and instead they pick Jerry Halliwell. But, yeah. Yes, yeah. Again, we don't mention that either. No. And the idea is that M. Bison, played by a very respected actor Raoul Julia, in his final film role, as it turned out, mm-hmm. is the gleefully megalomaniacal... Um, <laughs> He kidnaps a bunch of hostages, holds them to ransom for the, you know, measly sum of $20 billion. Otherwise, he will, you know, kill the hostages and unleash biologically engineered super warriors um, across the world and remake the whole planet in his image and, you know, Guile and the others have to go and stop him. And it's it's a fairly nonsense plot, really. It's, it's made all the more ridiculous by how willfully over-the-top every element of Bison's plan is, from having his own currency... To his own sort of um, <laughs> set of set of laws, to um, the way he brainwashes his um, test subjects. One of them being Guile's best friend Charlie, who is eventually turned into the Monster Blanca. And the fact that Raoul Julia, who knew he was very unwell, he was actually suffering mm. from stomach cancer at the time, mm. which um, ultimately went on to kill him shortly after the film was uh, released. I think it was just before the film was released, actually. Was it the last film that that he made, or was it the last film that? Um, he was he was in, like the, it's uh, the it's the actual last film that he made. It, it came about that he knew he was very unwell and he might not sort of last too much longer. So he had a pile of scripts in front of him. He sent them to his kids and said, "Which film do you want me to be in?" They sort of flicked all the scripts and looked around and they really really wanted him to be in Street Fighter. Mm. So you know, as a last present to his kids, he starred in this film. That's lovely. And that's really sweet. I think. It turned out to be quite a canny choice. One, because it's it's a film that's still remembered today, and even though you might sort of groan and think about it, and, oh, God, Street Fighter, yeah, rubbish, and it's full of cheesiness. It's also, it, it's kind of community levels of meta-humour in how much it takes the piss out of its own concept mm. and dialogue all the way through. I mean, some of the quotes themselves would kind of do that, like that whole, 
That one I gave earlier, which is a quote when um, <laughs> Chun Li, played at this point by Ming Na, short, uh, 20 years before she would then go on to play a, another ass-kicking person in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is sort of captured by Bison and trying to make him feel some kind of remorse for uh, destroying her village when she was just a young boy. She runs through this, this um, big, long speech, you know, you and your bullies were driven back by farmers with pitchforks. My father saved his village at the cost of his own life, and you had him shot as you ran away. Bison sips a martini calmly and says, I'm sorry, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> it's, it's a segment where Bison will go to visit his um, captive scientist, Dr. Dalsine, who for some reason is a scientist in this film, and not like a stretch of yoga fire breathing guy. Mm. Ah, Dr. Dalsine, how is your research today? The same, warped, corrupted... My science twisted to serve a perversion instead of peace. Twitch Bison taps him on the shoulder and says, Tell you what, after I've crushed my enemies, we'll see about getting you published. That should cheer you up. Hmm? <laughs> Wandering through the ruins of an ancient Incan temple that he's made his uh, basin. The temple above us was the wonder of the ancient world. Bisonopolis shall be the wonder of my world. But I think the food court should be larger. All the big franchises will want it. <laughs> Yeah, so it, just, it is very then. It's very aware of of how of how daft it is and how yeah. It, it's just it's just very aware of itself. Which a lot of these action films, these dumb action films, aren't, are they? They're very sort of they can be quite po faced. But Street, Street Fighter seems to have that level of look. We know this is ridiculous. Go with it because we're having fun. You need to as well. It taps into the whole kind of vein of postmodern cinema that we had a lot of in the nineties. Really, we were getting it in comedy with things like Seinfeld. Mm. And then we were getting it in comic books with things like, well, the, fo- the follow-on, rather, from late 80s works like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. And then we were starting to get it in film with a lot of m- more sort of darker, self-aware, edgier kind of action movie heroes who came out of edgier um, late 80s films like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and that kind of thing. So we had a lot more tortured front men and characters and, and that kind of thing. So there was an air of... I don't know whether it was just tapping into a... The Greenish generation's just general dissatisfaction with the world around them and rejection of the <coughs> clean-cut, shiny neon of um, 80s capitalism that they were coming out of. But we kind of... We started to like and entertain movies that didn't really try to pretend that they weren't movies or didn't try to kind of paint the world in any other way than just being like a bit messed up and broken and wrong and all over the place, really. Well, you're great. So a good what, example I'll, of that is Last Action Hero, isn't it? I mean, that, that's a film yeah. that's full of that kind of thing. Yeah, Last Action Hero, which kind of goes a bit too far into being actually quite dark and, and weird. And mm. while it's great at having loads of meta-human references to action heroes in the, the movie side of it, once that gets into the real world, I think it, it seems to get a bit confused with what kind of tone it wants to hit for the rest of it. Whereas, I think that where Street Fighter was aiming to excel in this kind of thing is... When you were getting these licensed property movies made around that time, you'd either get something completely bonkers like the Super Mario Brothers movie, mm. which just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, <laughs> or the Double Dragon movie, both of which try to tap into a weird kind of cyberpunky aesthetic and don't really, don't really do much of anything as a result. Or in what Street Fighter was brilliant at is taking this sort of on the surface very, um, like, obvious watered down mass appeal kind of concept. And putting this really subversive layer of humour and reference all the way through it. So even though, yes, you do have quite cheesy representations of the game's characters and the way that people look and everything else that's happening all the way through it. At the same time, it's like, 
yeah, we know this is stuff. Just kind of just go with it yeah. and just, you know, enjoy yourself. In much the same way that many years later, the Dead or Alive movie would tap into that exact same blend of like a faithful game representation. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. ...and also completely knowingly ridiculous from start to finish. Well, it, it's funny because what I actually, in the in my last podcast that, uh, that was released at, at this, the point of recording this, I actually did talk about Street Fighter very, very briefly because I was reviewing Need for Speed. Now, Need for Speed is rubbish, complete rubbish, complete trash. And it takes itself so ridiculously seriously. And it got me briefly talking about video game adaptations that over the years have just been largely complete rubbish. And I said, and one of the points I made was that Street Fighter is one of the few video game adaptations to film that is quite fun because it knows how silly it is. Whereas afterwards, you had films like you know, the Tomb Raiders and some of the... Uh, not that I've seen all of them, but some of the Resident Evils that just didn't fully work because they didn't really, you know, have that sense maybe of that meta element or that postmodernism, and it, it just it just became a very. You started to think. I started to think. Well, what was what's the point in making them? You've got the game. Whereas with Street Fighter, it kind of added something that you don't fully get in the game, the, the film itself, the first film anyway. Yeah, it messes around with the plot and the characters quite a lot. It shuffles things back and forth here and there, but. You know, whereas obviously the game is just a series of one-on-one beat-em-up fights, this one actually doesn't... There isn't a lot of one-on-one scrapping in it, really. There's like mm. a handful of fights carefully staged around an actual plot, which is a group of heroes coming together to stop a madman from taking over the world. Yeah. And as a result, it's got a much better narrative tissue. The The Street Fighter animated movie that came out around the same sort of time, the Street Fighter 2 one, was um, trying to run it off a similar concept, really. The Bison was trying to... I think, oh, I can vaguely remember it now, but I think he was trying, he was studying the world's greatest fighters because he was basically trying to make himself the hardest man in the world so that he could just go around with impunity it, as part of his plan for world domination so that he could then just basically destroy anyone who came near him. So he was studying other fighters in their own environments while they were running around and doing it. I think um, not just the year after Street Fighter, you had the Mortal Kombat movie, which mm. almost works, but the kind of, the humour element of it is is dialed right back. It's a bit more of a kind of 
straight-laced representation mm. of the film. It, it's good. It's nice. It's well-budgeted. It's well-choreographed and, you know, looks the part. has an absolutely kick-ass soundtrack as well because it's it all, like, mid-90s industrial and techno yeah. bands, which, yeah. was, uh, which is great. There's a fight between... Um, oh, it's Johnny Cage and Scorpion having a fight at the bottom of the pits, like in what would be the hell level in, like... Bridges are made up of like human bones flying yes. going to the background. Fear Factory blasting out yeah, of the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so awesome. That's the scene I always <laughs> remember. Actually, that's the main scene I always remember when I think of that film. Yeah, there's certain scenes in that. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the time I was watching that on um, on video, my dad was in in the room and he looked so appalled at that scene, especially <laughs> the bit when the top of Scorpion's head gets sliced off and this <laughs> flaming skull screaming as blood slung out the top of it. I tried to turn to him and say, "Let." I know this is stupid. It's okay. I'm not. I'm not being traumatized by this film or anything. Well, I mean that's the difference, though, isn't it, between between those films and Street Fighter? Is that Street Fighter's kind of not really that over the top and gory in that sense, is it? It's very. It's it's very cheesy. Kind of almost like cheesy eighties in a way, isn't it? With with that with that certain video game sensibility mixed in, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the fights are pretty bloodless as far as I can remember. Guys get sort of gunned down and killed, but it's more just like there's gunfire and someone goes, ah, and falls over. There's no close-ups on, like, bloody injuries or wounds or anything like that. You don't get any kind of Resident Evil-style gore or that kind of thing going on. Well, what, what, I mean, going back to that, that, that topic briefly, what, what do you think of the state of play with, with most video game adaptations? I mean, you know, you... You've played a lot of video games. You've, you know, you've you've played pretty much all probably the video games that these films have been based on. What what do you think makes a good adaptation? If Street Fighter is a good adaptation or a good version of it, what do you think people do wrong so much with these kind of films? I think the main way that you can go wrong is to just try and recreate the video game as is, mm. which is where a lot of these things go wrong in the concept stages because. So many of these big budget AAA games these days are built with a very cinematic sensibility, and it's uh, there's there's a lot of articles and research on on this. It's because of the way the player is the central agent of change in a video game. In a movie, we're a passive audience, mm. so it's essentially the same effect as just watching a series of cutscenes of the game strung together. Mm. It'd be like just well, basically playing Metal Gear Solid Four, which, as we know, <laughs> is just almost entirely cutscenes. <laughs> And also because the way that the the peaks and troughs of narrative play through these things, even ones with nice plots, take something like Bioshock or Bioshock Infinite, would work well as a screenplay, but because there's so much story in these things, you end up having to massively condense what's going on. So a lot of these more modern, more cinematically-minded games that people are saying, oh, you should make a film of this, like The Last of Us or like mm. uh, The New Tomb Raider or that kind of thing, already work best in exactly the format that they're in. Mm. The best kinds of video games to make are the ones that aren't built with that kind of big story in mind, because then you can kind of come up with your own story and just sort of... It's like saying, okay, if I had these characters... This is exactly how, believe it or not, all the um, canon that we have for Transformers came around. Mm. Originally, the Transformers were just a series of Japanese toys that were like, you know, vehicles that turned into robots... Some of them, the original models were supposed to have little pilots in, which is why some of them have little kind of slots where a little pilot model should go, from about three or four different Japanese toy ranges. And this American company like bought a bunch of them up, brought them over, and these two guys sat down and thought, right, we need to put this into one range 
you know, how can we do that? And then they brainstormed and came up with the idea of there being these two rival factions of, of robots. They came up with some, you know, developed Optimus Prime and Megatron, Starscream and um, Bumblebee and basic personalities for these people. And then from then, other writers have just come in and developed the concepts and fleshed out the backstory and Cybertron and developed new characters like um, Hot Rod and then the Dinobots and Shockwave and all other kinds of things from there. And it's essentially, it's what they are in, in essence is it's just a toy that it's it's a car that turns into a robot and it doesn't do anything more than that. In much the same way that Street Fighter, the video game, you've got one guy, you beat up the other guy, and then you go on and beat up the next guy. That's that that's the sum total of the arc in it. Therefore, you take these characters and you say, what can I do with them? And you just make something up and you run with it that way. So the best games that would work in that regard are the ones that have a relatively light story. Like we said, that's I think why Street Fighter works so well because it did. It didn't just obviously. It took a very simple concept of a game and it did this whole cheesy, over the top, me mega maniacal Bond style, massive, crazy idea. And it was just a. It was just fun, wasn't it? At the end of the day, it was just fun. Exactly, it's fun from start to finish. Yeah. Even like the cheesy lines, you kind of get away with it. Like yeah. that whole Tom um, <laughs> Bison's talking about the prisoners. Take them to the interrogation room. They will talk or die. Preferably both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I keep thinking, actually, that had were they to remake this film exactly now, it would be Javier Bardem playing Bison, wouldn't it, instead of Raul Julia? Because he basically is like a modern-day Raul Julia, isn't he? You know, that that could work. I can't yeah. imagine him having the scene where Bison's chest is the sort of heart defibrillator thing. It's <laughs> working back up again. Yeah. Um, it's it's when Bison sort of um, scolding Sagat, Sajat, who as you know, or Sagat or Sajat, Sagat. I don't know how special yeah. pronounce his name. The big tall Maitai Kikoshi yeah. guy's got the eye patch on. The bald guy, yeah. And um, he he's, he's sort of you know reacting to shock to the news that Colonel Guile is still alive after having faked his death. And Bison rounds on him and says, "Of course, his death was designed to ingratiate his spies with you." <laughs> then he puts a hand over his one eye and says, "I guess you didn't see that, did you?" <laughs> And you can you can imagine. I think Steve D'Souza wrote this as well. You can just imagine him killing himself laughing as he's writing. He's <laughs> yeah, like, thinking, "I'll never get away with this." Yeah, doubling it up with laughter. And that's that's it. You know, when these films do that, they work much better. To to conclude, then, if if someone if someone hasn't seen Street Fighter, and there probably will be quite a few people who haven't actually, because it's it's getting on now, and it's um, you don't always catch it everywhere. What what is the one? Major reason, which we've probably discussed, but what is the one major reason you would recommend people watch Street Fighter? I would say it's just because if you if you're very tired of movies that take themselves painfully seriously, and you want to, you want to sort of if you're the kind of person who enjoyed movies that were just fun, like if you ever watched Big Trouble in Little China or yes. Army of Darkness or Speed or any of those kinds of classic quite blokey action movies that just had a laugh with their own concepts yeah. but were still very entertaining at the same time street fighter hits every single one of those buttons it's it's funny it's you know a, a pretty decent budget it's got you know some quite good action sequences and explosions and fights and all sorts of stuff going on in it if you're a fanboy of the games at all it is loaded with a lot of quite kind of nod and wink pleasing references that mm. Again, I put in more out of a sense of humour than a sense of seriousness. Mm. And it's just, it, it's just got a sense of fun that a lot of cinema's forgotten these days. Mm. And it has Kylie. It has Kylie quite a lot in it, actually. I think, I don't know, 
I don't think she quite get in, gets into the kind of skin-tight, um, blue leotard thing that the character Cami tends to wear in the games, unfortunately. But um, I think she does beat someone up at one point, which is just worth the admission price yes, alone. just to see Kylie kicking, kicking ass. Well, that's great. That's that's the advice from uh, from Lee and, and myself, because I, I completely agree with you on this. Go watch Street Fighter. You'll probably find it on Netflix or um, or some such, or it'll come up on uh, on your local uh, TV screen. But if you catch it, watch it. So thanks a lot, Lee. Cheerio. Now, who wants to go home and who wants to go with me? <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.